want to welcome you all here uh, to Brooklyn Zen Center, to our community. And I want to especially welcome Zenju Earthland Manuel, who is um, who's joining us this evening. I'm personally, and as our Sangha, I'm personally thrilled and very deeply happy that Zenju is with us this evening. And I'll just say a little bit um, in the way of introduction. Um, Zenju Earthen Manuel, author, poet, and ordained Zen Buddhist priest is the Dharma heir of our beloved Zen K. Blanche Hartman in the Shinryu Suzuki Roshi lineage. Zenju Osho is the author of The Deepest Peace, Contemplations from a Season of Stillness, which will be the ground of, of her teachings, I believe in part, the ground of her teachings this evening. And I'll just say that this book, if you've not read it, is a poetic blessing. So I'm very grateful that she has written this as a Dharma offering to all of us. Other things that she's written are Sanctuary, a meditation on home, homelessness and belonging, the way of tenderness, awakening through race, sexuality and gender, and tell me something about Buddhism. And I just want to add to that um, something that I feel was a, a beacon during the uprisings around George Floyd and the pandemic, which was a, I would call it a prose poem. I don't know how Zenji thinks of it, which was um, published in Lion's War called Darkness is Asking to be Loved, which oriented many of us in those times. So I just want to, um, I just want to thank you for being here and welcome all of you to Brooklyn Zen Center and um, Thank you for being with us and thank you for bringing your teachings forward for us here. It's really good to be with you. I'm grateful you, you're taking this time. Thank you. Hi, Coulson. Um, it's great to be back. Um, hi, Laura. It's great to be back. <laughs> uh, so many victories, so many different names and faces I remember and, and some of my Sangha members here, Kahi and, and Simbwala and Shalema and some friends, you know, Mana. Yes, I, I love it. I can see the names. Can't see everyone's face, but uh, it's good to be here. Um, we're just going to sit for a little while and then I'm going to just read a, a little from uh, the um, book, The Deepest Peace. And then I just want to open it up. I don't want to do all the talking. I like to have a conversation. So spending most of the time in conversation. And um, I'm, I'm noticing that uh, Katrina is the host. And thank you, Katrina. Hi. And so if you could, um, you know, uh, help me with fielding questions, Q&A. I don't know how you do it, how it's done, raise of hands. Um, yeah, mostly raise your hands. Don't just unmute and ask because it might be <laughs> chaotic that way. So when we get to that point, uh, Katrina will be very helpful. Well, hopefully, I think so. <laughs> okay, am I missing anything? So we're just going to sit very um, gently. And so I just ask you to um, like maybe even sit in a way you've never sat before to not do your routine or your habit, um, you know, your way of breathing and just sit and see what comes up for you. 
Iran. So be still as you can. And if not, that's okay. No punishments. And just breathe and um, I will invite the bell three times. I'll give you an opportunity to just listen to that, the bell, and anything else that may be making a sound near you. So um, I am going to read from the book and um, then open up for discussion. And I thought I'd read uh, this part since many of you are in New York, because I was in New York when I wrote this at the Garrison Institute in my tiny little room. And it was kind of interesting being in that room. It was my first time being at Garrison Institute. I was there for the Mind and Life uh, Conference. And I was in that building um, by myself in for a couple of days because I had gotten there early. And so it was quite the experience um, because I definitely hurt walking, even though I was in that building by myself. Definitely was in the building by myself. So I thought, okay, this is gonna be interesting. And I began to write this piece. It's called Sipping on Silence, Life as a Hermit. At a distance, the train whistles along the sacred Hudson River in New York City. The sun barely enters the narrow windows in the monastery where Capuchin Franciscan monks have faded into the walls. Austerity and simplicity scent the air. It's the smell of hermits. A hermit's life in nature is ordinary magic. 
The rising mist hovers over the mountains. Raindrops hang off the tips of leaves. Humidity rises from the warm earth. The wide river shines. A sound from the deep woods goes silent. And yet the hermit doesn't have to be tucked in a cave. They can slip into their own inner mountain and they don't have to wait to be enlightened. They're there as soon as the sweet taste of silence touches their lips and they discover a deep hunger for peace or a yearning for the state of being unborn that was never forgotten. Hermits feast on morning dew until their eyes glisten and their bellies are full of the sky. They stagger to the next place to sit, allowing the sun to come through their hands and the trees to breathe through them. Finally, the heart flower opens along the river water that flows in their heads. Mountains move in the stillness while hermits slip free one breath and then another. This is the magic that comes from sipping on silence. There are bands of us, hermits that live in nature drunk on revelation, but we're not addicted because we can't buy awareness or call for it when needed. We can't control the state of being. It can't be shaken off. When we finally see the width of the earth, a hall of meditation is no longer the only place for concentration. Life is a zendo. It takes a lifetime to allow nature to take over to make life's activity surrendering to, the earth, surrendering to the earth from which we came and will return to. There's so much stripping down to do. Afterwards, there is loving the raw material that is left of us. We must get used to how it feels and looks. The time comes when tightening what has fallen loose is a waste of energy. You let things fall and break at your feet. You become clear that stupidity is stupid. Doubt is living in reverse and fear is a trickster. You have become a hermit without any effort. Hermithood as a state of mind happens when a deep yearning for nature turns out to be a yearning for the self who left behind the self we left behind while earning our, a living, raising a family, or keeping pace. The disconnect comes, becomes so severe that we are desperate to engage the source of life, to live close to the earth, to see it constantly, to smell and hear it. To taste a pine nut is to taste the pine tree. To listen to a leaf fall is an uninterrupted conversation with the earth. To dedicate 24 hours a day to listening is not a sacrifice for the hermit. Listening is the lifeline to the deepest peace possible. 
there's never any time lost in a day spent listening. The perpetual and eternal sounds of nature, including the utterances of human beings, are the feast of life. The train is arriving across the Hudson River for the third time. The old hallways of the monasteries once filled with monks crawl with humans of the 21st century. Chatter and laughter bounce off high ceilings and fall again. Do I tell them I hear the old monks walking around and talking to each other at night? Do I tell them I'm a hermit too? That I stand right alongside everyone, but I'm in my hut peeking out at them that I'm waiting to speak from what I hear in the breeze. Thoughts from the last decade have gone stale on my tongue. I'm tired of the taste. Do I tell them my staring is because I'm in awe of life? I am in awe of life. I don't say anything. I watch. Our skin colors complement the beige walls. Our intent complements the mind and life of hermits. Our quest to know goes unsolved despite our research. Solving sends the mind down a rabbit hole while the heart waits for us to return. The darkness of night will cover the window soon Dreams mixed with desires will float above our beds. In the morning, birds will sing again. They must. Right. <laughs> That's the end of that poem, that prose poem. And, um, yeah, I, I heard Kosen also mention that other poem I did on um, darkness is asking to be loved. Um, I'm um, coming to that place uh, in, in my life and in my work that the essential, despite whether there's peace or violence, that the essential exists and uh, along with those things in our lives. And I can access them through the poetry. Um, I discovered a long time ago that poetry could be a way of life. And I was a child. And I realized that so much can be said. And it actually started, my poetry writing started when I was eight. And I actually was writing about um, the racism that I was dealing with on a daily basis as an eight-year-old, I began to write about that. So I've been writing about race for a long time, uh, all my life. <clears throat> it's been um, a way to survive. Uh, it's been a way to ask and make inquiry about life. I uh, was introduced to poetry by a teacher in elementary school, of course, eight, that's third grade, right? And I hated to read books. It was just like, ugh, there are just too many pages too many words, and it took it too long to get to the point. So I never would turn in book reports. And the teacher was like, mm, 
what am I going to do with this child? She's not reading anything. She won't read anything. And of course, at that time, I had not been introduced to any uh, Black authors. So I had no idea about that. That came way, way, way later, decades later. So um, I'm attending an all-white Jewish school. And so she comes to me and she says, what I'd like you to do, since you won't read any books, is read this book of poetry. And I said, oh, that's interesting. And so I took the book and I went home and I read that whole book from cover to cover. I felt so successful. I was like, wow, I went from cover to cover in one night. And I never could like even get to page two, like three in a novel. So I was like, wow, I really am. This is really for me. And, and I understood every poem. Like I didn't need them to be explained at all. Like I heard the whole story in 10 lines. Like, this is magnificent. I could write my life story like this. And so I began to write. And um, it began to be my way of engaging the world, engaging life, and also became one of the gateways into uh, Zen. Um, Zen has a very uh, poetic history. And um, I, I would listen to mostly as Paul Holler, would bring, he's a senior teacher at San Francisco Zen Center, would bring poetry. And that was just, that would just, you know, touch my heart all the time. It didn't matter what poem, it's just poetry. And, um, and lately I have gone back to that first gateway of Zen poetry and, and not to get away from what's going on in the world. As you can see, when I wrote the um, piece, um, Darkness is Asking, um, to be loved. And if we have time, I'll try to find that and, um, and maybe share it if we have time. But, um, you know, it's, it's just a gateway in it of itself. And I also begin to see Zen as poetry itself as a practice. And I talk about Zen in the book, but I don't talk about the Zen that's in the Zen center. And talking about the Zen you live as your life. And then what is that? How can you know that? You know, and I don't think you can know in the beginning. I think it looks quite ridiculous, uh, Zen Center. Like, you just want me to sit here and do nothing all day long? And then you want me to sweep the floor and wash the toilets and the bath? What? Wait a minute. And cook and all the, you know, what? I, I need a rest. So, <laughs> you know, you don't understand, you know, what is it and why, why these things so along with the poetry and, and the rituals and the ceremonies, I was able to continue investigating this thing called Zen that we are all to investigate on our own as to what it is. And, um, and maybe not even be able to name it, but to be able to feel what it is doing to your life. So I could definitely feel that my first sit, which was a three-week intensive, uh, I didn't know they had one-day uh, sits. So I went into a three-week intensive that trains you for Tassajara. So I didn't even know about Tassajara or anything. It's like, oh, my God, Tassajara Zen Center. But I did it, and I came out of that three weeks a whole new person. And that person, what was that person? That person was open. That she wasn't different. She didn't move necessarily, but she, her heart was open. 
I mean, really open. And I didn't know what to do with that because I had spent most of my life, you know, being uh, imposed upon in terms of oppression and all kinds of things. So that felt um, like something is happening here and uh, in this practice. And so I, I will stick with it. So um, a lot of people might feel, look, this is the opposite of what she wrote in the way of tenderness. This feels like a, a different you know, feel. I've asked a few people you know, about the book. Have they gotten the book? Have they read the book? And I think people are interested in once you do one thing, they want you to continue that one thing. And it doesn't allow you to grow. So <laughs> I remember Aretha saying, I am really tired of singing respect. And that every when she would go to concerts, they she had to sing R E S P E C T, you know, and she'd have to do the same old thing as she was growing and becoming older, and her her music was was maturing inside of her, and so um, I feel that for myself, and this is um, I think uh, a way of what is ripening inside of me. This book is what is ripening. And um, I use it myself as it's like a tool. And when I'm really anxious, I read this myself. It's almost like it's not my words. And I read it and I'm able to uh, reconnect um, to what's essential and what's important in, you know, where I am, you know, on the earth and to um, be, um, nurtured. I would say nurtured. And I'm really happy when my words can nurture me. When I read The Way of Tenderness, I kind of want to keep writing that book. Like there's no end to it. I could keep, that book could have been forever, but they do give you a limit <laughs> of how much to write. So I think that's kind of good. But I'm open, I'm here today. Um, I think for some might have never met me before. And I would, if you've read The Way of Tenderness or uh, Sanctuary, tell me something about Buddhism, uh, The Deepest Peace, or any of my articles in poetry, and you just want to talk or you just want to talk to me today, um, please, let's take this time to have a conversation. Um, I think, what time, how long do we have? About an hour. About an hour. So you got a lot of time. Don't worry, I will fill up all those empty spaces. Because <laughs> that, that's something I've learned to do too in Zen. It's interesting, I learned to talk more in Zen than to be quiet. So <laughs> let's see how this goes. Um, I'm just fascinated by people who come and I, I want to engage. That's where most of my teachings come through rather than me just kind of throwing it out at you. And then you're kind of like, Okay, I was done at the first few sentences, <laughs> you know, because I just don't want to add an ad. Okay, how they say the lines are open. This is where I teach, so step forward. You can ask questions or make a comment by using the raise hand feature. Please be mindful of your conditioning around race and gender and how it that affects the way you make space and take space. Okay, um, Sabana. 
Subana, did I say that right? I'm mute. I sure did. That okay. was great. <laughs> Most people really mess it up. <laughs> um, I have just, I'm reading The Deepest Peace for the second time. And um, I think the thing that's happened to me from reading it um, is my greater awareness of my, the lineage that there's no beginning and there's no end. Um, and uh, one day during a one day sit with Chris Fork, and I think you know her, um, I just started looking at who preceded me in this life and all the uh, connections, not only with family, but with teachers. And then the people who went before, the, the teachers who went before and before. And I just had this deep sense of um, it's never ending. Um, and I experience, I live in the, the Redwood Forest in California and the same thing with the trees. And um, I, I'm so grateful for your work because it's just broadening that whole sense of really belonging to something so much greater. Um, and I think that you describe it as unshakable presence. Um, and that has, uh, I hold on to that like a, a rock. Um, so I'm very grateful for that. And um, I, I'm on the second reading and I actually, what you just read, I read last night. So, uh, <laughs> um, and that's what put me back to sleep at two o'clock this morning. <laughs> so, um, yeah. So thank you so much. Uh, do you go by Zenju or how do yeah, I? Zenju's fine today. Just call me Zenju. Yes. Okay. Just call um, me Zenju. Yes. So yeah. deep, deep bows and gratitude for your gifts. And um, uh, I look forward to more. Okay, great. I've ordered, I've ordered the, uh, what is it? The Path of Tenderness. Uh-huh. The Way of Tenderness. Yeah. The Way of Tenderness. Yeah. Yes. So, yeah. Thanks. Thank you. Thank you. Yan say your name. Say your name for me. Yan Yan Kwe. Hi, Zenzu, and, and good evening, Hi. everyone. Um, so Zenzu, we corresponded by email, I think. Yeah, I recognize your name. Yes, thank I do. It's good to see your face. Yes. Thank you. Um, and thank you for your invitation today to I just got the email today about this event. Um, I want to speak to you. Today's a heavy-hearted day for me because of the um, the most recent event yesterday, the in Atlanta of the shooting of the um, many Asian women in the massage parlors, um, cuts across race, but also um, class, immigration, sex trafficking, and just um, oh. So it just feels like as a practitioner, I'm just coming to the edge again. It's like holding the feeling of belonging and non-belonging at the same time. And just making, it's at that edge again. And yeah. um, it's hard, it's really hard. Yeah. And um, appreciating actually mostly, I hear mostly BIPOC, black, indigenous, Dharma teachers 
who step forward and mention something in solidarity. But again, very few. Actually, I don't know if any um, white Dharma teachers, you know, Western comfort teachers who have spoken or said anything about it, even with um, Asian American Buddhist temples being vandalized and um, arsoned or, or Christian churches in the US um, that are attended by Asian Americans. Mm -hmm. So just, you know, there's, it's like I have a fried egg metaphor kind of thing. Like the yolk is like the comfort zone and the yellow, I mean, the white is like my learning and and then the edges of the sizzling. I could certainly feel mm -hmm. myself kind of in the sizzle and I need to, you know, appreciate the peace, the, the quieting, the selling, the somatic system, the nervous system. Mm -hmm. And, um, but still just like living in this and then you had a quote about letting loose what is that um not not tightening what's loosening uh -huh. and i was hoping or was wishing for that be the loosening of the white body supremacy capitalism the whole patriarchal system is yeah. that loosening and wishing for that and just let it like this is the moment of that right now and it's hard and we're all in it fizzling mm -hmm. with that and um or you know, maybe it's going to take a few more generations. I don't know. And it just, it's really just a hard day, hard moment right now for me. Yeah. And I want to acknowledge that um, right now in this moment to acknowledge that. Uh, and thank you, Yen Kui, for bringing it here to acknowledge what is going on these days and what happened yesterday. And um, I actually had to sit a while to take it in. I think I, posted something a couple of weeks ago and then I posted it again, post again because um, I walk on this path with my ancestors um, and my ancestors walked with me on this path that, um, you know, came from Asia, came from India, you know, and um, I recognize the kinship. I have always recognized the kinship. Um, and um, even being in India when I was, I could see um, how African, and when I was in Malaysia and Mongolia and all these different places, because I, I went to go see what this practice looked like from the earth and with the people who live it, it's in their pores. And that's what I wanted to see and be with. And I, I, I am knowing in this very moment that more and more people are, are being joined on this edge, you call this sizzle edge, and there's, and for myself, when I started writing at eight, was this desire and like, why don't people understand, you know, what is going on? Why is there white supremacy? Why is there racism, sexism, oppression? You know, why do people hurt people? You know, that's just very basic when you're a kid, you know, um, you, you go to school and someone spits in your face and you don't know why. And that happened to me. You had like, what is, what, <laughs> what just happened? You know, so, um, I used to wonder why so much suffering, you know, why suffer so much and why we're suffering, you know, as, as a people, why? Because it, it, it really hurts. And I really feel like I knew around this time we would be pushed and pushed and pushed to that place that you're talking about, that place of, you know, liberation. And so there's this ebb and flow. And it's very hard to be pushed. All of us are being pushed no matter what and who you are or where you come from to be pushed into this place in which we come to practice to do, 
you know, this place of seeing and awareness and awakening more and more. We feel we're awake and then something, boom, we wake up to what we woke up to. You know, uh, the Asian women being killed and the people suffering, their family suffering and everyone else suffering along. And so um, since I felt I live a life like this filled with the racism and, you know, homophobia for me, it just runs the gamut, you know, poverty doesn't matter, you know, poster child for oppression is that <laughs> these things I had to take and use, you know, like you said, you're, you know, getting to that sizzle. I will use that sizzle. I will use that fire to awaken and open and to, and to be able to engage a life that is full, even though all, all is happening. All is, is in our face so close. And I think it's going to get closer and closer. Before it's kind of like right here and we could observe it. And now it's right here for us. It's like right here. And so what do we do with this? What do we do with the humanity that's larger than ourselves, our earth that's larger than ourselves? What do we do with that? And I, I'm convinced, I'm convinced that we are here to, to learn about what life is in the nature of life, even the horror of it, the joy of it. We're to understand that. What are we going to understand now about it? And, and what story are we going to tell and how are we going to tell it? Are we going to continue to invoke white supremacy in it? Or are we going to invoke healing and transformation? Everyone. And then how does that happen? You know, because this is our time. I, I am right in step with what is happening. I feel my heart is hurt too. Every time any group of people really are attacked in that such a way for being who they are. Any, any group of people. I've always been that way. I was born like that. And so I, I just wanna be, walk with you and everyone and to, and to call in this moment, uh, the healing that is needed. And we're being shown the depth of that healing. You know, we've, we kind of do a few things and, and we want that to, to change something, but it takes time and we have to go through, that's what the way of tenderness is about, is going through that tenderness, which is the going through that, that suffering, you know, through it, you know, and because it's here, right? It's here anyway. So how are we going to use it? Practitioners learn how to use it, how to, how to make a fire with it, how to make water with it, how to make medicine, how to, and my, you know, how to write, you know, write poetry, you know, how to, how to engage this life despite the horror of it, even despite the joy. So we clamor and clamor for the light in the dark. And we're getting more and more and more and more and more. When I say darkness, I mean this mystery of life, the uh, unknown, like what, what is this, what is happening? That unknown, the further we go into that and the ability and the capacity we have to sit in it instead of running from it. Like this book is not really about light just because it's about peace. It's not about light, you know. 
It's about where we are as unknown in the dark. Life is dark. It's dark. And we go, oh no, life is dark. Help, I want out. Show me the light. Show me the light. And we try to go to some false light. Or someone tries to present themselves as light, even to you. And that is something that will, um, you know, cause you to, I think, sometimes prematurely leave the seasoning and the ripening that the suffering is offering. We're being offered something pretty great, pretty hard, pretty tough. I mean, yeah, it just feels like, oh, wonder when I'm going to start hurting, stop crying and hurting. Oh, no, now it just keeps moving from group to group. So what is it? You know, how do we live a full life despite that? I intended on living and I still intend on living a full life despite I am not welcomed in many places, despite even in the places I'm welcomed, discovered that I'm not. Or something happens in those places that say, you're not it. You're not going to ever be it, <laughs> whatever it is. You know, and so there's work to do. On many levels, many, many levels, where you put yourself, where you put your practice, is where you can feed yourself, have medicine for yourself, so you can go out and do the work that you want to do, or do the work you want to do with yourself on your life so that it affects others. So I am with you in this moment. And I just call in, you know, all that we need to get through this continuation of white supremacy um, and to understand what it is. We are interrelated with them. We might want to try to avoid these people, but we're interrelated with all people and all things. So what, what is going on with this relationship? And how are we going to be in it? Because the only way out of it is, is not, it's not life. It's not life, it's something else, right? Yeah. And so um, I always think of the children. You know, we don't have to be brave, but we, we have to walk with them, you know, and help them uh, understand uh, the darkness of humanity. You know, it's kind of like the time, and I know, some of you might think of a time when you first discovered there was no Santa Claus or something, you know, something that really just busted your bubble, you know, just like tore you up. That really tore me up. I just picked that Santa Claus because that was a hard one for me. And what tore me up about it is um, not that I wasn't going to get toys or there was this very God person, but that my parents weren't getting any help with buying the gifts and it just hurt me. Like, oh no, oh no, there's no Santa Claus, they're doing this by themselves, oh no. And I stopped asking for gifts and things like that, although they kept giving gifts. But this kind of illusions that we're under, now we can even deal with the illusion of how we even perceive of the people in which our practice is based on. We really have something here in our, in our core here. To me, what are we doing and how are we doing it? 
And that's the work. That's the walk. And, and, and it is a hard one, a tough one. And it is one that will push us. Because when we're pushed, that's when we really, really do see who we are. Do we go away? Do we blank out? Are we only going to speak when it's anti-Black only? You know, what, what, what? I thank you. I thank you for being here and speaking that and bringing it to our circle today and continue to bring it. And it's because it's only, it's only our interrelationship, all of us, <clears throat> in which we understand life. I don't know if you know the heart suture. Some people know the heart suture, no eyes, no nose, no no tongue, no body, no mind. They're going, wow, wow. Well, you don't have any, any of that until, because they don't put that part on there. Until it's there. It's just, you have to know how to interpret that. Until there's an interrelationship with others. Because I don't know eyes until I, I see your eyes or when my mother showed me eyes. Some, somebody else showed his eyes and the nose and the smell and the taste and the touch. When we came into this world, this earth, ancestor earth was already here with the breath and the food and the medicine was already here before we arrived. So, you know, what are those eyes that we're, um, when we're in interrelationship, what is it? There's no teacher unless there, until there's an experience as a student, you know, you might want to ground it there. You don't understand that relationship until that relationship happens. You don't understand the senses until the senses are activated by others or by something else, something other than yourself. And in that, we have an experience of compassion. Not the compassion we define and not the compassion we think we must give to each other because we don't know what that is either. You can't, you can't really be compassionate. I don't believe in it really. I use the word, but you really can't. You can be in compassion and hope that there's an, you, you're, you know, have an experience of it for yourself. So when you're giving compassion, what is it? What experience are you giving? You think you're giving. What action do you think you're giving? Because these things can't be given. I, my book's on peace, but it might not be the peace you might think um, or the peace like um, I was to give a talk somewhere and they said, well, we'll need you to talk about this, that and the other because they were afraid that if I came in it's some kind of high pie in the sky, hands in the heaven kind of thing. We wouldn't get to the topic because peace, oh, peace, that's not what's happening now. And it is. It is what's happening now. 
because we're becoming we're coming awake to the depth of what peace might be or could be into the expansion we're expanding 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 like you said i love that the egg and then the white and then the sizzle i love that i love that hold on to it all of us <laughs> stay in the sizzle we're all here together sizzle together thank you hope that was good. Hmm. I saw another hand earlier. Disappeared. Claire. Hi, Zenju. Thank you. I'm feeling kind of shy to be in the space. Um, so I raise my hand. And I lower my hand to give myself a little space for the shyness, you know. Um, as Yankwe was speaking, I was um, imagining myself in the bodies of the women who are who were murdered. And um, I think I couldn't do that earlier today because I was alone with it, you know. So I'm grateful for that space. And my question is about this thing that I heard you say right at the beginning, which I think is related to everything you were just saying about sitting in a way you've never sat before. It's such a wonderful gateway for me. I was so happy when you said that. I felt like I could do it. I felt like I could actually do it. And I just wonder how you, what was your journey with that? Because I've heard you say that before in the, a retreat that I did, one of the recorded retreats. Mm -hmm. And I just felt so welcomed by it. And so um, like I could be there, mm -hmm. me personally. Yes, yeah. Um, thank you. I, I feel that, um, I've been telling people to stop meditating. Well, everybody's telling everyone that's what the, the whole, you know, darkness is asking to be loved says, <laughs> because I noticed that people are doing something. It's like, what are you doing? You know, what are you doing? You know, <laughs> and you know, cause I said, you know, if we said, we're going to sit. Like, what are, what are you doing? You know, what's going on there? You know, because the breath, you were born with when you came came here, and and um, it was offered <laughs> for you to breathe, and so I like people to kind of breathe and discover their own breath, and discover their own body when they're breathing, you know whether or not it's like a board or like water or whatever, to discover it so that as time goes by, instead of manufacturing a a something whatever we're doing to allow it to come through. Now you can, you know, sit, you know, whatever positions, you know, that are taught, you can do that. And um, there are a lot of techniques and I don't use techniques. Um, I was told one time you just breathe boo out and duh and boo duh. And I was doing all of that. And then I was counting and I did the counting, ten, nine. you know, I was doing all that. And I was like, okay, okay. 
you know, this is too active for me and I had to stop. And so I'm trying to help people discover their own place of stillness and breath. And that's what we need in this situation that we're having now with the, um, with the, the shootings yesterday is to not embody the suffering, but to be with the suffering and the breath of in your body. We, we need you to breathe for those who have been um, just done away with their lives, done away, need your breath to honor and to mourn and to grieve and to stand alongside. And I understand the, 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 you know, trying to understand it, but embodying oneself and one's breath at this time so that we can see in the life that we have, because we only can be right here. I can't be like anyone else on the screen. No one, even, even racially, you know? I can't be like anybody there and I can't be in the suffering. And what I find is, because so many people come to me and they are in their suffering. And when I, for me to go into the suffering, I can't breathe there. I can't breathe in that suffering. I can't have that breath. I can't, I can't sit with anything, you know, with the suffering if I, if I join in there. You know, so, but if I'm in my own breath and in my own um, place of where I have set still, I can offer that. I can offer my presence to, to, to others, you know, to myself, presence just to myself, to be. I've been breathing for a couple of weeks ever since the attack started happening on Asian, on Asian people. And I, and I, I always hesitate when I say Asian because I don't even like that word too much, you know, because it just really is such not a, a true thing, right? We all know that. It's just, there's just really no Asians, you know, <laughs> you know, Chinese, Japanese, Vietnamese, you know, there's a lot of people we're lumping there. And I don't like that, you know, a lot because um, it reminds me of what happened to some of our tribes, you know, just the lumping together of Africans. So I think that it's important to, what is it we need to learn, you know, about each other, you know, rather than, you know, I, I'm, I'm feeling we all must have, if we have a pulse, some sadness and grief of the situation, you know, and if not, I, 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 I would like to talk to you, <laughs> but that we have some sadness, you know, and grief over what happens to other humans. I mean, I think we're bodhisattvas, we're on this path. We believe in being spiritual warriors and the spiritual warrior must have medicine. What's our medicine? The breath, the presence. That's what we're, we're honing. What are you honing in your practice? And so what you're honing and therefore embodying, I think is helpful and beneficial to, to each other, to yourself, to family, to community. You know, how to even being present when we don't feel we can be <laughs> like, oh, this is really, I don't think I can do it. I think that's really an honest statement when you said that. I don't think I can sit. I really like to hear things like that. It just sounds so much like being human. You know, I, it's like, yes, yes. 
the difficulty of everything, of every moment of life. And then what is difficulty? Why is there difficulty? What is it? What are we to do in this life? We can join all the movements. Are you, are you in the right movement? Is your place your neighbor? I remember sitting next to a, a fellow a fellow Dharma sister, um, and she was um, in a lot of she was suffering around something that was going on, and um, the thing she was suffering I wasn't suffering over it. And I, I got I was like it took me a while though I said wow. I'm not suffering, so I'm okay. And she's suffering and I'm doing nothing. I was doing nothing. And she was right there. But if they had said, come on, let's do a movement in that moment, I would have jumped up for the movement. And the suffering that I was to deal with was right in front of me. So it's really having an inner, inner first, an in, inward view in sight so that, the, that our outer actions Karma is from that breath. Our joining is from that breath. Our, our, our empathy, our embrace, everything that we do, even with ourselves, is from that breath, you know, from that medicine that we're holding. So I'm hoping this is helpful to some and everyone. I'm not sure. I'm never sure. Just let me know if it's not, you know, it's okay. All right. Good, Clay. Thank you. Anyone else? Oh, okay, Linda. Thank you. Um, you have written an article that I read and it was on what if delusions aren't a barrier to enlightenment? And there was, uh, in part, you said, when we become intimate with our own thinking, delusions become the earth upon which the moon of enlightenment shines. I love the imagery of that. And I was wondering if you could talk more about uh, delusions, lessons, um, gifts of delusion. Um, maybe what you were, you know, what inspired you to have that imagery. Um, That's an old one. An old article. Um, I like that article too. So I'm really happy you read it because not too many people read you know, my kind of straight up Dharma articles. Uh, that one actually was based on Dogen. And I, I felt that, um, and because he talked a lot about that the delusion and enlightenment are uh, doing this kind of dance together, or tangled that they're married and this couple that dances. And so we only like the enlightenment part of the couple and, and the delusion when we like, mm -hmm, uh, and we also don't think that they're married you know, like they can't be married. They don't belong together. Um, so I like that he talked about it as a tango, as a dance. And, and 
in Dogen, you know, so we get the message sometimes that we're to not think. Stop thinking. Thinking's not good for you. If you think, it's going to drive you into more um, suffering. But guess what Dogen said? Thinking is good for you. And that's what that article really is bringing forth. That thinking, you know, is not a bad thing, but that it can be used because it's from the delusions in which you will come to experience enlightenment. You're not going to go enlightenment. And then I'm so enlightened, I can point out all the delusions, you know, you're going to come through that. Like I came through that delusion of Santa Claus, right? Which opened me up to the poverty, amazingly, as a young child, to the poverty of my parents. You know, and, and, and that was such an awakening. Now to say I, I was enlightened. I, we dare not say that as Zen people, but it's just I was awakened and aware of something that I wasn't before. And so I was very excited you know, that when I wrote this article on, um, you know, delusion and enlightenment and that thinking that Dogen himself said you can, which uh, Soto Zen is based on Dogen, Dogen's teachings, that that, that is the, almost the base to, to moving, that you have to come through your thinking, through your delusions to be enlightened. So my constant threat, what's my constant threat? If those who have been reading and reading different things, there's a constant thread. I just said it today too, you know, really. It's not a pop quiz. Just interesting to hear maybe somebody hearing it. That constant thread is all those absolute virtues that we want. Peace, harmony, freedom, liberation, enlightenment. Name it, keep naming it. We can name them. We want all of that but we're not really to go through the things that a human being goes through to experience it. And we only can experience it. I can't bring you loving kindness. I'm not gonna say right now, I'm bringing you loving kindness from my heart. I can say that, but only you can bring that to your life because you might not trust my loving kindness. Okay, Zenju, I'm not gonna, I don't know what you're doing, but I don't know about that loving kindness that you're trying to share with me right now. You know, so maybe that's not going to work because it is coming from my mind or how I think I should behave with someone. But the loving kindness that I've had experienced, I can barely describe. I cannot articulate it. So I always tell um, and talk to many people that Buddhist teachings, those absolute wonderful romantic virtues are not to be accomplished. Okay, so then what does that mean? We're going to be like hateful to each other forever? Oh my God, you know. No, it's not to be accomplished. It's not, Buddhism is not a tool. Zen is good for nothing because you can't use it to reach these places of nirvana, heaven, whatever you're trying to go to. You can't reach peace. So I wrote the book in a way that I, I never really defined peace. So it just keeps changing and changing. You know, I'm talking about these things that make me feel a certain way that I, I call peace. But is it peace for you? Maybe not, you know. There's one that I say violence is in the peace. Peace is in the violence. There's an essay right there that says it's right there. And I say it by walking, I'm walking out 
by the mountains and there are somebody's been killed an animal somebody got ate up because there's scraps that was some pretty violent action last night while i was sleeping being peaceful so a lot of these things are going where are we when the pieces where are we when the violence is you know all these kinds of uh, questions are to be asked and lived all our questions are to be lived so in living them we want to live all the questions i always say find one question and I've been living this one question about the absolute and the relative, finding that one thread and sewing that one thread stitch after stitch after stitch after stitch through my entire practice or step after step after step after step. You know, recognizing that I'm not accomplishing anything, but opening and ever expanding and ever evolving, as I was talking about before. And that's where we're that's that's the best we could do. You know, is that, and if we if we're not willing to do that, we're not willing to evolve, and some of us aren't. We aren't. We think we're pretty good as we are. So I think that needs to be looked at too. You know, maybe you feel good as you are, and maybe you feel you know everything, and all you're doing is just taking some steps so that everyone else knows you know everything. You know. We're really something, we're quite, this human species is quite something to study. Um, Valentina, yes, hi. I just wanted to know the name of that article you guys were just talking about, uh -oh. but also just okay. express the whole thing of, you know, I get some peace after I get through some difficulty and then, mm -hmm. and then it's back to, the same old struggle and it's like man I thought I was done with this mm -hmm. you, know, you know when but you're gonna anyway. be done you know when you're gonna be done. <laughs> so don't even don't even say it. I know you know when it's gonna be over when is it gonna be over have I you don't want to stop breathing have but, you I mean I don't mean that in the full real sense <laughs> <laughs> have you done your funeral plan you know but <laughs> you know it's, it's important to take this life and, and, and I speak strongly from all the suffering that I've had since I recognized it at eight years old to take this suffering as a walk on a sacred path that no other path can, you know, I, there's no one who can walk you down the way your life is walking you down. There's no one who is walking you that way, but you. And to, mm -hmm. and to have the ups and downs, the ebb and flow, I was just having this conversation with someone at Lions War about an article I wrote, and I interjected uh, hatred and oppression into the article on Heart Sutra. And he says, well, you know, everybody else is writing about uh, wisdom, and you're writing about compassion. And I go, well, excuse me, that is the wisdom of the Heart Sutra, compassion. And so, and then so he said, well, that hatred and oppression kind of broke up the flow, you know, of the, of the <laughs> And I said, that's what everybody wants, flow. But you have to have an ebb and a flow, an ebb and a flow. You know, we want that water. And like, and every time fire comes, we hurry up trying to get, it's a fire over here. You know, it's my life. You know, let me get rid of it. <laughs> you know, 
But maybe that fire is there for you to see something. Maybe it's an illuminating fire, not a destructive one. Maybe we're in an illuminating, transformative awakening and opening rather than a destruction. It feels like a destruction because we could just about die, stop breathing and die. But because we have a practice of the breath and sitting and um, exploring life, perhaps we can enjoy life by discovering ourselves and who we are in humanity. You know, even, even when it hurts, even when it hurts. And a lot of times it does. Right now, we're all in some hurt right now, some kind of hurt and pain. Like I said, if you're not, let me know. You can email me. Yeah, but I think that's not true if you're alive. So thank you. Thank you. And what was the name of the article? Okay, so I don't have time to look it up because I'm gonna, it's going to make me lose. Okay. Uh, yeah, and I don't. That's fine. I wrote it a long time ago, but I, I wrote it for Buddha Dharma. And so if you put my name in there or somebody here could do that and get the link, but you put my, um, uh, if you could uh, go to Buddha Dharma and then put my names in your earthly manual, it should come up saying what uh, darkness is asking to be loved. That was lying. Oh, I love that article. That's, that's that my beautiful. Name for. So uh, sorry, I don't have it. You see, sometimes my. Oh, thank you. My assistant joins me and she does that so that she's not here today. Okay. All right. Thank you. Uh, I don't know. Ryan, I think you're next. Yeah. All right. Thank you so much. Um, I was really struck um, by you actually saying it was hard for you to read novels. <laughs> and like, I just, I just loved the story of you coming to poetry. Um, I mostly read novels and I like write fiction. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm bringing this up because as, as I was reading The Deepest Peace, what struck me is it's not like a stories in fiction where like I'm reading to find out what happens next or like, you know, what Zenji's gonna do next in this episode. Mm -hmm. um, but what keeps me in the words is actually the feeling of stillness or the feeling of peace that somehow kind of, it's, it's not even so much like the what's happening, but like the feeling somehow comes through in a bodily way through the words. So I was just wondering if you could say something about kind of like where you were in um, an emotional place or in a bodily place as you're writing and maybe even like when you knew this experience was like the one you were gonna write about versus like, you know, I'll just observe that experience and let it go and not write about it. Yeah, thank you. That's a good question. Um, I, did, I ended up reading novels eventually, ferociously, when I found uh, books that I enjoyed reading, I didn't know there were other novels. You know, the, the books they were giving me just wasn't for me. And I also am writing a novel, you know, it's been written and it's at a publisher as, at, right now. So that whole thing has changed around me. But, um, and I, I pretty much write in every, every genre, you know, at this point. But when I started writing this, the only thing I could do was witness and observe life. It was at a time for eight months, I couldn't walk. I was at Green Gulch. I couldn't leave Green Gulch. I mean, I ended up leaving Green Gulch um, without being hardly ever 
I couldn't walk, you know, just I, everything hurt in my body. And so I was pretty much stationary and I, I could just observe what was around me. And um, so it was a time when I actually thought I was dying from something. They were testing me on this testing, testing, testing. I said, wow, I thought I'd be in the later, you know, I always had this A, B, and C group of elders dying. And I didn't want to be in the A group. I want to be in the, in the C group. You know? <laughs> so A is the 60s, B is the 70s, C, C is the 80s. So um, 80, 90. So I was like, okay, I'm about to leave. And I was in that, that mindset. And I ended up uh, listening to taking this course called Small, uh, Small Silences, Small Silences. And it was very interesting. It's by this woman. Um, well, I don't know her gender. Uh, uh, Ando, Ando, and and if you if if you Google Ando and small silences, you will see her course. That it just changed everything about how I write. Even the novel changed. Every book I got coming out that's coming up now. I got three books on the hopper, and with three different publishers, and um, it just fueled something and the fuel that was in me, it fueled it and it gave me life. And I um, began to do things I needed to, to get up off the, the bed and to, you know, get back into life and engage. And um, then um, somebody, oh yeah, Parallax called and said, is there a book that you like? You know, all the people I'm writing for, I didn't solicit them. They solicited me. Is there a book that you want? You know, uh, to write, to give us. And I said, oh, well, I have this book of poetry, you know, but in my mind, I was like, they're, they're not going to accept this not as poetry. <laughs> you know, this is not going to be what they call, you know, Zen poetry and all that. And I didn't care after a while. I said, you know, this is what I'm writing. And they took the book. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Carol Express. Um, so I was in that state of really looking at life, but not dying necessarily, but knowing that just really looking at an orchid and really looking at the ground, looking at a mountain and listening and seeing what is being said, you know, with, and I try to write it without uh, I, 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 which is very hard to write. So uh, a poetry without I. So if you notice the poetry doesn't, the, the haikus and the other, there's no I. Uh, I see victory shaking his head because we, we're in a class together around this. And also adjectives, not having adjectives. And so that's a lot too. So why not? So the reader can come to the piece without me being it about me necessarily, but it is, it's all about me. <laughs> but, but, but the adjectives aren't there. So you can see the mountains of your, of your own by the way I'm speaking about them. And I just tried that out. And I, it blew my mind, you know, about the writing and how it felt and to unencumber it with myself, like step aside and allow the mountain to speak like, oh, OK, what's the mountain going to say? Maybe it won't say anything and I won't have a book, but I, that never came to, to my mind, <laughs> you know, that I wouldn't hear anything. And I just kept hearing and hearing and hearing. And I think that. Um, I enjoyed this way of talking because I real uh, writing rather because I really realized that um, when I have ideas, um, I think 
they it gets a little convoluted with so many words, you know. And um, th this felt like everything I wrote was just what it was. If I said mountain, it's just a mountain. You have to stop and figure what's a mountain or get your dictionary to figure out. Now, what is she trying to say in this? You know, it's pretty clear. You know, it smells like, it smells like hermits. What does that smell like? Who knows? You know, but just that kind of austerity, you know, in their practice that they have. So um, that's where that book came from. It came from a very, I think, a very deep place in, uh, in my being different in, in, the, um, in the world. And then I had, had surgery, which I had never had surgery in my life at all. The only time I'd been in hospital was when I was born. And so this was really huge to go in there and, um, and die. <laughs> I didn't die. But I went in there and said, okay, goodbye, you know, and um, I wanted to be here later and I was, you know, but to look upon the world in a different way was very, very interesting and um, uh, exciting and calming at the same time. And um, I had hoped that, that I wasn't necessarily, I was telling people don't read it for the content you know, because I'm not going to have all of my um, probably uh, political ideas and views. And then I, I do. They're in there. But <laughs> something that you could feel, a book that you could feel rather than try to grasp any kind of teaching I was trying to give. Because you really can't grasp. Anyone who's read this book is like, now, can you grasp the teaching? Not so much but you, I'm hoping that you can feel it. And so it was more of like a tool, like an elixir, you know, for us, for the times, because we're going through a lot. And to keep reifying all of it was just, it was just making me sick. So I needed an elixir, something that would feel like medicine. And so this is where this, where this book came through as that. And so um, I hope that answers some of the questions. Thank, Thank you. you. Yeah. All right, uh, Josh. Um, <clears throat> I don't really have a question so much as wanting to express some appreciation for the, the threads that you mentioned in your teachings about the absolute and the relative and um, I feel like one of the main reasons I came to Zen was to like deal with my grief and fix my grief over the death of my father. And early on reading The Way of Tenderness, you, you write in there about um, how death isn't great because it's scary, but it's great because of how it connects us to everyone else and into the interdependence between us. And I just uh, wanted to express my deepest appreciation to you for that that teaching and for you know all the teachings that you shared with us in written words and with your presence here tonight. All right, thank you, Jess. Yeah. Okay. All right. Thank you, Katrina, for putting up these links. Thank you very much. Um, Oh, do we have anybody else? Okay. 
I think we're nearing the end, right? Okay. One more. <laughs> Shelby. Greetings. Greetings. Um, I wanted to know, um, because you do write so much, if you, um, and I'm, I'm interested too, because I, I came, I can't remember how um, I was connected to you. And then I had um, an unopened box of your Black Angel cards um, <clears throat> that in a, in a, when I was having a very, very difficult and challenging time in my life, I opened the box. Um, and then I wanted to gift those um, cards to everyone. <laughs> everyone, I wanted to buy as many as I could and I couldn't find them anywhere and I did not want to give mine away, but I eventually did actually. Mm. Um, I think you said that you dreamt and then, and then painted and wrote. Um, and that was very intriguing to me. Um, and very resonant for me. Um, I write so much, but I don't share a lot of what I write. And sometimes I look back on it and I think um, I don't even recognize my voice. Um, and I'm wondering if you have writings that you don't share. Um, and, and if you do, you know, or don't, why? Um, what you, you know, for those writings that you don't share because, because of the fact that you share so much when you don't, why? Okay. Um, thank you, Shelby. Um, I, I feel like I don't have a choice to not write or to not share my work. And there, I think every last book I've written, I, I, it, deep down, I didn't want to share it including the Black Angel cards. The Oracle came through. I didn't know what it was. It happened seven years deep into practicing the Dharma. I was like, okay, I'm practicing the Dharma. What's this happening now? Why am I having a lucid dream and it's an Oracle? What? Wait, 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 wait. And um, so I feel like I'm, I'm a conduit of, of, of uh, some voice I don't know yet. <laughs> I do get divinations and we're still trying to figure out what voice that is. And, and those teachings just come through like the, the Oracle. Uh, I am um, working on editing now with Shambhala publications, a book called uh, the shamanic bones of Zen um, revealing the ancestral spirit and mystical heart of this tradition because meditation is not is how we're using it on a daily level, sometimes or secularly is one way, but it is, and I just use the word shamanic loosely. Um, there are some very defined shamanic practices like Tibetan um, practices, but I began to understand the rituals and the ceremonies were in a chanting were, brought me to the, the definitely the deck. And then I didn't know what it was. So when I write, sometimes I don't know really what I've written. Even The Way of Tenderness, it's like, I was very afraid of that book. I was very afraid of the Oracle, you know, extremely. I was hiding, hiding. And then I went into Zen and people were like, what happened to Earthland Manual? You know, <laughs> and one woman said to me, she said, mm, you know, you're, you know, I was, all she knew me for was Zenju. You remind me of Earthland Manual. The one who did the angel cards. And that's like, mm, yep, that's me. <laughs> I am. <Earth> <laughs> um, 
like she couldn't put it together a dharma teacher and this person that did this thing you know that came from the earth that came from the ancestors came from somewhere into my dreams and then i put it down and then and then out the door it went when it went out the door i wasn't ready i never was ready for it you know until i started later after i got into zen and sitting still and seeing i began to see something different of the death and I, be, I kept reading. I've been reading, doing divinations for 17 years now. And I kept doing them. And I noticed what I was, I was starting to see. And it's a seeing that we all have, of course, in it, but it's in a seeing that is enhanced by being still and by meditation. And so meditation is a very, very special practice for those who want to see. It's not necessarily just a sitting practice. That's a good position, but it's a seeing practice you know, and, and honing and seeing what you see, even through the violence that we see, you know, all of it, seeing, and what are you seeing? So my practice is not to write anything down to me that I feel some people have done a good job doing. So I don't write about oppression. I think Angela Davis, Bell Hooks, they got it, they got it. I don't need to write what they have written and they have taught me. I don't need to write that. I don't teach it either. They're the best teachers. They're still alive. They're legends, living legends. So I'm trying to hear what is needed to be heard. And so that's why when I write, I feel like that's what's needed to be shared. I'm not certain of it all the time. You know, I tend to go, uh-oh, I wonder what they're going to say now. She's got a book out on peace and she's been writing about oppression. You know, and I didn't care. I mean, I didn't, I did it anyway. It doesn't matter. I think if you understand your work as not you, but some, that you're, no matter what work you do, that is a conduit of the energy of life, the source of life, and that you may feel as a creator, which can cr create all kinds of things if you're the creator. You know, look at all these things I'm creating. You know, and if you believe in God, what if God thought that? Look at these people I made, you know, like stepping, like just allowing yourself to have things come through you. And if it's coming through you, you can share it, but you might share it in different ways. It might not be a book. It might be a talk. It might be something you share with your family. You know, before I used to just share with my family everything that would come through or my closest friends. And I remember one person saying, you should, you should tell, you should, you should talk more, <laughs> you know? And cause I, I didn't, I just really wasn't interested in talking because I was just too in my world. When you're in that world, you don't engage very well. And I wasn't engaging very well either with the world and with other people. I still don't sometimes, you know, I have to work at it because I, I am a hermit. So, um, you know, by nature. So I just feel that, um, you know, listen to whether or not it's something, you know, share it, you know, see how people feel. And I didn't go toward like, I'm going to write a book. You know, every book that came out, I go, that's not the book I want. <laughs> every single book I have out there, you know, um, I had this idea of being a writer, but I wanted to be like Toni Morrison, you know, and Toni Morrison wasn't writing this kind of stuff. So I was like, oh, why, why, why do I have these oracle? What's an oracle? I don't want an oracle. I said it out loud. I don't want an or oracle. <laughs> I'm not, I'm not that kind of person. Obviously, I am that kind of person, and they were showing it to me. 
And more and more, they keep, it, it just keeps showing and showing itself. And like I said, the, the publishers have come to me and they say, you got anything? And I go, want some poetry? You know, so it's not me going, I got some poetry, you know, here. I, I don't I don't know if I could do that. I don't think I, I don't know. I don't think so. I don't think I have the, the gumption <laughs> or whatever. That's an old word, you know, <laughs> gumption, you know, country word. So I just um, I just pray and trust that whatever I put out, uh, my main thing I do pray over that it doesn't hurt anyone when I'm writing. And that goes right down to Facebook posts. And I spend hours on Facebook posts, just one little post. I'm like, I'll read it over and over and over. And if it hurts somebody, somebody comes in and they're hurt, I will, I will take it down. I take it down. I don't keep anything up there or, or any, I don't repost anything that brings um, anxiety. And, um, you know, I, I'm just not part of reinforcing uh, violence. I don't, um, I would have never had that George Floyd uh, posted on my on my page ever, ever. You'll never see nothing like that on my page, ever. And I, I, I have a crack in my voice because I feel like he died um, in front of everyone without dignity. And I can't get over it. I still can't get over that. So I don't do it. And one friend said, well, how are we gonna know these things are happening? I said, there's more stories than George Floyd. You know, these are just about snuff. They're almost like snuff films. You know, you know I don't, it, I think it, it, for people who are into that, it makes them, when they see it, they want to do it more. Now, when we see it, we have a different experience, but people who, that might be just a really, like, let me go do some more of that. So we don't know what we're doing when we do that. We have to be careful. Of what we're sharing to the 90 billion people, what we're putting out, what you're putting out in your words to your friends, to your to your own family and community, to yourself. How do how do you feel when you write what you write? How does it feel? And that's what I go for. If it feels like like oh, I, this is getting bogged down and convoluted, I let it go. That's why the novel hasn't come out. I've been writing it for 20 years. It keeps going into the trash. I probably have written two million words. It's like, no, not what I want. This is not what I want in the world. So I finally got what I wanted in the world, finally. But um, through me, that I let it come through me, finally. Novel I was creating. When I let it come through me, I was amazed. You know, um, I, I was floored almost like, okay, I, I don't know if I want to finish reading. I don't want to read it right now anymore. It was, just, it was just really big. It was a huge story. So thank you for that question. And I think we've come to the end. Is this correct? Some nods. And um, thank you for the invitation. Brooklyn Zen Center and all, all those who sit together at the Brooklyn Zen Center. Thank you. And um, take care of yourselves in this time. Take care of yourself always and be well. And I'm walking with you. Yeah.
Thank you. Thank you for listening to this podcast offered by the Brooklyn Zen Center. Our programs are given free of charge and made possible by the donations we receive. For more information on supporting Brooklyn Zen Center, please visit the giving section of brooklynzen.org.